0: Support for the game podcast is brought to you by starcitygames.com the world's largest independent retailer for magic the gathering singles and supplies and home for the best strategy content on the web if you would like to support the game podcast feel free to check out our patreon page at patreon.com slash the g-a-m podcast Welcome to episode 109 of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian, a.k.a. Prime Speaker Zagana Gottlieb. And I I don't know, man, that's not creative. Well,
1: I just had to give Prime Speaker its due. We talked about Ravnica and the prevalence of merfolk on this plane going back a few casts ago. And completely blanked on this one. We both said, eh, I don't think there's any merfolk on Ravnica. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one already existed and is now back, which is kind of a little foreshadowing. We'll be talking about the new Zagana as we go through this cast since we're doing preview cards this week.
0: Yeah. And I I thought for sure your name was going to mention the fact that we have yet another guest. And I'm going to let you introduce this fine fellow because I know you're just dying to butcher his name.
1: Well, I'm kind of over this guest. Honestly, we've already spent enough time with this person this week. So that's why my name didn't particularly shout them out. But we have one of my favorite magic people on the entire planet, Chadwick Phillip. Hello, Chadwick. How are you doing
2: today? Hello. Yes, I'm Massa. So Nice <laughs> to be here. I can't wait to talk about the magic cards with you. I'm actually, I'm the real big fish. That's why you guys brought me on here. I'm the biggest fish there is. So well, thanks, we, guys.
0: We brought you on because you threatened to fire both of us if we didn't. So right. We kind of had no choice.
2: I can just keep doing that. Just put you in the lock.
0: We're going to have to secretly record so we can't come anymore. At some point, I'll just send you my resignation, man. It's fine. (laughs) Well,
2: I'll be here for that. I'm here for that. Let's do it.
0: Cedric, are you excited to talk about uh, Ravnica Legion's previews?
2: Yeah, man. I haven't talked about like cards and deck lists and stuff like that on a podcast in a pretty long time. I've always done like the let's cover the controversial stuff with friends and get their opinions and various other things, so it's been a hot minute since I've taking a look at like a list of previews and kind of broke them down see what I think about them with people. So this should be fun.
0: Are you normally looking at the previews as they get updated and like thinking about decks and stuff like that? Or are you too busy spending your time in other areas and just letting other people figure that stuff out for you?
2: Well, so I kind of look at cards, like, kind of tangentially and just see, like, where they can kind of fit in and stuff. But, like, I'm not building deck lists, like, I'm not writing down deck lists, like, in a notebook or something like you would. I just kind of look at cards and say, like, oh, that could fit in here. This could fit in there. This card is generally good. Like, you know, Tithe Taker, a new card I'm sure we'll talk about. It's like, that's just a generally good card that's creature-type human. So that might go into, like, modern humans or something like that.
0: But I'm not starting from scratch. Word. Well, you better get excited, man. Ravnica's tight. Are, are you Grawl? What guild are you? Did you say Grawl? Grawl? Gruul? I think, I think it's pronounced Gruul. Gruul makes sense. I just never try and say it because I know that I'm going to butcher it, but there's no real way around that on a podcast. So.
2: so if I had to pick a guild. Okay, so this is kind of a weird pick. Something about Simic kind of speaks to me. Because I like the flavor. Like, I really like the flavor of it in the last set of, like, Shamble Shark and Croconora and, like, these creatures that they've mixed together with other creatures and stuff. I thought that was really cool. Uh, Unfortunately, Simic always just kind of sucks. (laughs) Yup. So, so but, like, flavor-wise, I think it's the best of the bunch by far. Uh, I think, like, the art's the best. I just love how, like, honestly, I just like the way that the colors, blue and green, visually, like, work together. Because, like, my favorite colors are, like, turquoise and aqua. So I'm always just like, can't this just be the nuts? And it just never is.
0: Well, I'm sorry, man. I mean, I I hope that Simic gets some love in this set, because like you said, it has been just pretty bad for quite some time. So I'm
2: no, I'm no game designer or anything like that. Never will be. But I also just don't know what they're going to. I don't know what they're supposed to do with a unique Simic mechanic. Like, this is the third time we've gone to, like, <laughs> Counters Land. <laughs> Ever? It's just had a different name each time and i'm just, i mean is this all we can do i mean part of me thinks the answer is yes but like i said i'm not a game designer so i don't know i have a theory that i'm i'm happy to share so
1: i love theories i agree that this mechanic in a vacuum is kind of lame and just like these creatures just putting counters on themselves is not super exciting but I think the way these simic mechanics are supposed to work is that there's then an additional step where they find additional uses for these plus one, plus one counters and do all kinds of tricksy things. So in that way, the mechanic is always super simicky, because simicky is about being like combinations and experiments and and doing weird and wacky stuff. So it makes sense that the creature mechanic is only step one of the process. And then you have to combine, you know, these other spells with reference counters in some ways to really Get the full effect of the Simic Guild.
0: Well, let's let's just get into it because talking about the mechanic a bunch before we've actually read it out loud is kind right. of awkward. So out of order because of you, Cedric. I'm going to start with Simic. I was going to go left to right for Mythic Spoiler, but here we go. We're going first, we're going
2: right to left now.
0: Let's just go down the entire right column. How about that? Uh, all right. So the first card is Zagana, Utopian Speaker. This is 2GU for a legendary creature, Merfolk Wizard. There are, in fact, some Merfolk on Ravnica. And when this enters the battlefield, if you control another creature with a plus one, plus one counter on it, draw a card. 4GU, Adapt 4, which is if this creature has no plus one, plus one counters on it, put four plus one, plus one counters on it. Each creature you control with a plus one, plus one counter on it it has trample. It's a four, four. It's a rare Cedric. Is this it? Is this the Simic card you've been waiting for?
2: (sighs) Not really, but, but it is a Merfolk. I think that's pretty important. We had Merfolk in Ixalan. So immediately, like where my, where my head goes is, okay, got to think about, I think it's Kumana the three mana merfolk legend that Mm -hmm. just was like, you know, I think it's powerful and people were really excited about it, but it came up a little bit short because the surrounding pieces weren't good enough, but I, I never felt like it needed a ton more surrounding pieces. I felt like it needed like two more, like another good creature and like, I don't know, a good spell and obviously breeding pool. And I think if memory serves, obviously you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Like we have hinterland Harbor, I think.
0: Yep. Breeding pool helps Kamina speaker a lot though. yeah
2: so so it just felt like we were just like a little ways away i look at this card i see a four mana four four so cost appropriately for you know magic nowadays though you know i also think of the way that things die and this ties to most things so that's a little bit scary but maybe your blue deck wants to play dive down so maybe it's not that scary okay then i see like the adaptability the adaptability excuse me and that's just kind of a thing that like if the game goes kind of long i get to do this thing which sure i don't mind that being tacked onto the card and then you know, your creatures you control get plus one. Uh, each creature you control the plus one, plus one counter on it has trample. Well, how big are these creatures going to be like in this Murphal deck? I, you know, it does have a Lord. I don't know if it will have additional Lords. So that's just kind of my question there, but it seems totally fine. It is worth noting that like this is just a rare, not a mythic. So like there's probably a Simic mythic to come and maybe that's exciting, but I could see this making the deck making whatever a simic deck is in like two maybe three copies i guess
0: okay the th- the thing that you kind of gloss over is the first part where if you have a creature with a plus one plus one counter you draw a card so four mana four four i don't think is a great rate especially in a format of lava coil and stuff like that like you noted but if you also get to cantrip off this thing that's great
2: so i'm into the cantrip naturally but again, the question is like, what are the surrounding pieces? Because it's not like Crackling Drake, where you always cantrip. It's if you get to cantrip. And so, what are the surrounding pieces around this that are that are going to have a plus one, plus one counter when they're on the battlefield? Like Merfolk that's the kind of Ranch question. Branchwalker, oh, your favorite card?
0: Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's not unplayable.
2: That's true. Uh, old, old Branchy counts, and man, I have to open up. I have to open up the Exile spoiler Spoiler uh, and, and the and the and the Rivals one too, because there's like that. There's the, the spell that puts like counters on Merfolk, right?
0: River Herald's Boon. River Herald's boon, yeah. Yeah.
2: So like there are ways to like make this functional and good. But I I'm just curious, like, what are the surrounding pieces? Because I don't want it to be sometimes I draw a card. I want it to be every time I draw a card along with my four four.
0: Yeah, of course. And I, I hope that Some amount of Simic deck like you're going to be able to do that. Obviously, we don't have all the pieces yet. We don't know. But like just kind of in magical Christmas land, if this is four mana, four, four ETB draw card has this adaptability that's kind of like monstrous or monstrosity, whatever it was. If you go long, it just becomes huge and has trample. I mean, that's not bad, right?
2: No, I I don't. I don't think it's bad. No, like I could be I could be undervaluing this and how the games are going to be played. And now I'm like, I'm trying to get my eyes on like just what all the merfolk cards that are like kind of running around. So, you know, deep root champion, whenever you play a non-creature spell, put a plus one plus one counter on this thing. I'll say this also, because like now you have to see where the other merfolk kind of line up because we obviously have a plus one plus one counters theme here. So like a card like Herald of Secret Streams, four mana, two, three creatures you control with plus one plus one counters on them can't be blocked. Like that's better than trample obviously, but like it's smaller and doesn't draw a card. So I try to see like what the pieces are around cards like this uh, to make work. Like you mentioned old branchy forgot about that. I'm into that, you know, that thing's going to be having trample or being unblockable. So, you know, there's some, there's some things to like here, but you know, I I am curious about it. If the four mana spots a little glutted up, I mentioned that thing that makes things unblockable. I, I just saw tempest caller. I'm not sure. Like that's kind of an unblockable effect, you know, if we're diving into Merfolk land to see which ones are the best of the bunch, I think there's some to consider here.
0: Realistically, though, this card does not necessarily solve Merfolk's problems. You still need some additional help. I totally agree with that. And, you know, one
2: card that as I continue to look through this is like, you know, I think everyone has kind of glossed over the fact that Silver Adapt Adept is standard legal. Right. That's pretty dope, right? Like, it's not going to get the count or anything, but this is another Merfolk to reveal.
0: Yeah, and there there were some decks last season where it was like black, green, kind of dredgy that sort of splashed Silvergill Adept because you had things like Merfolk Branch Walker, and you could see that happening a little bit more often, I'm sure, with Silvergill Adept and Sagana.
2: No, I totally agree. I like I, I I by no means do I think this card is bad, and maybe my bar is too high for what I'm expecting out of a card or like the Simic Lord or whatever, but I think this card is probably better than I think it is because it is like good in the mid game. And then like, if you are flooding, you get something to do with it. And the trample ability is probably more relevant than I think. Uh, I think we both agree. And Brian, I'm curious your thoughts on like it being a four, four in the world of lava coil and creature removal. If, if it's size is going to be a deterrent or not, but it seems totally fine. I I think totally fine
1: is spot on. And that's not enough to get me excited. And like I think Jerry said, this this isn't solving Merfolk's problems. It's probably the best way to say it. And one of the things I like to do when we're doing this new card assessment is just like making sure we're not just building worse versions of existing decks just because we have new cards in them, right? Like we have to stay open to the possibility of this card changing something. And I think the way in which Zagana successfully changes something is with additional merfolk support. And as you list the merfolk they're pretty good. I mean, there's a lot of solid Merfolk available and Standard right now. So what it may have more to do with is the spells supporting Merfolk. It feels like that's what's always been missing more than just good bodies. Like the spells aren't quite there to really push the tribe forward. So I, I don't know if Merfolk's heavily supported in this set, if this is the one Merfolk we're going to see. But if we're just evaluating this as like, a blue-green creature, then it's pretty underwhelming, right? Like, you're not excited to do any of these things. It's, you know, in comparison to something like Rekindling Phoenix or Ravenous Chupacabra. Like, power level for the format, this card is kind of underwhelming. And you mentioned Crackling Drake, which, like, comes with built-in evasion, always draws the card, is sometimes, like, a 13-4. Like, that looks much better in context as well. So on rate, this card is kind of a letdown where it really gets to shine if there's a ton of merfolk synergies that we really want to lean on right now and i don't think existing merfolk are really doing that like why why do we want to go down if we're doing this kind of tempo we creature thing like our bodies aren't particularly big we have some card advantage now with things like zagana and you mentioned the one that like when your merfolk deal damage you draw a card those things exist and, and that's kind of the the niche this deck has to carve out because there is something like mono blue, right? Like that's the tempo deck. And it does a really effective job of being that deck. Like you have to play with some mopey stuff, but your best opens are very strong. You have reasonable one drops where, you know, Merfolk has a couple of one drops they could consider. I don't know. It just seems like it's, it's game plan. It being the mono blue deck is more cohesive and more like in pursuit of a goal where Merfolk was just like, here's some bodies. They're going to get bigger over time. Hope that's good enough. And, That in and of itself isn't enough to get me excited about this card. But if there's significant support for the Merfolk tribe in this set, I think things get different. As far as the plus one, plus one counter synergies, this doesn't seem like the best payoff for that type of thing. You you mentioned some of the other ones that exist, you know, unblockability is a big deal, but that is all context-based. You know, there's, there's a lot of weird stuff that could be present in the Simic guild here. So cautiously... Optimistic that this can find a home, but with the pieces I see now, I don't think this is like a format shaker or anything
2: like that. I'll say this real quick because now I'm looking through the Rivals uh, card list. I think it was you, Brian, but it may have been Jerry. Uh, I'm old, can't remember. There is no shortage of like good merfolk, actually. Right. Right. And that's actually kind of telling. So it, it does seem like they are just a little bit short on spells because like I'm looking at the Rivals list and like I already mentioned Kamina, there's Deep Root Elite which whenever another another merfolk enters the battlefield under your control put a plus one plus one counter on a merfolk you control uh there's jade light ranger which i don't think would fit into the tradi- like the merfolk deck that we were probably thinking of which is an aggressive deck and there are some others here as i as i go down this list like there's the two one drops from that set the unblockable one and then the the little knucklehead that puts a plus one plus one counter on something silver Gill adept is in this set uh, so like there's some cool stuff going on like creature wise with the merfolk and then spell wise i think uh, as was mentioned, and also there's the crusade murful but spell wise, like that's where we're really missing out. But I'm curious about like what if we know that Simic is going to have this plus one plus one counter theme. I'm doing a little looking at old Hadana's climb over here. And hello. Hello.
0: I made a list of cards that I think people need to be watching out for. Uh, and Hadanah's Climb was definitely on that list. And that that might be what I write about this week on Star City. But yeah, it's it's very interesting where it's like, oh, there's yeah, this Simic card that's just been chilling and could now suddenly just be very relevant.
2: I've been so into Hadana's Climb for such a long time. It's a very me card, obviously. But like I've been so into that card because I'm like, look, this card is like all of these transform like enchantments in the land cards right they're all they've all been like really good at some point for the most part and so it's just like this one hasn't really gotten its time to shine i know jd did some work with that card but past that it hasn't really gotten its time to shine and this card is completely absurd especially if you need like this like this factory of plus one plus one counters that you don't have to invest in every turn for whatever simic is going to be like talk to me about
0: that yes please Yeah, so some of the surrounding context, like we we have some of it already. As for Merfolk's interaction, they have Dive Down and Spell Pierce, but that's not really good enough. You're not necessarily operating on the axis that like the the other decks require you to operate on. Like I'm thinking about stuff like Pongify and Remand, like these really good tempo tools that Merfolk Mm. doesn't have any sort of analog close to them.
1: Pongify is a great one. Like that's, that's kind of what feels like it's missing you know, when these decks first showed up, when uh, the Lord first came and was printed, and people were trying really hard to make Murfolk a thing, and it was like a $30 card coming out of the spoiler, uh, Kamina I'm talking about, the the spell suite was like three Unsummon, two River Herald Boon, and then 31 Murfolk And that's the way these decks were built. And uh, it was pretty obvious that like this was not going to be a long term player in the format. As soon as you saw them reverting to those kind of builds, so the the problem has been the same for Murfolk all along. And you have to assume there will be something. There's some kind of simic tool that you're looking for in this set. What it looks like, I don't think we know yet. So I, I'm excited to see the payoffs there. And it's you know you're right, Jerry. It's definitely behooves everyone to go back and clean up your list of playable cards because. So much was forced out by the power level of the old sets uh, with Ixalan and, and Rivals of Ixalan that we wrote off a bunch of stuff, which we definitely need to get back into our memory banks now that we have supported mana. And I think yep. it was a little easier to form that list when the mana was not so good. But now everything's on the table. Every shard, every guild, they're all options. So you have to go through and clean up your list of playable cards and make sure you're keeping track of everything in that circumstance.
0: Yep, Definitely. Uh, next card is Simic Ascendancy this is UG enchantment, one UG put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control, this is basically Hadana's Climb Cedric, sort of (laughs) whenever one or more (laughs) plus one plus one counters are put on a creature you control, put that many growth counters on this, at the beginning of your upkeep, if this has 20 or more growth counters on it, you win the game, so this is the most Johnny card of all time if you put 20 plus one plus one counters on creatures over the course of a game, I would hope that you would win already, but hey.
2: It has nice art. That is my that's, feedback on this card. Yeah,
1: that That's about where I am as well. I, I also <laughs> enjoy the picture on this magic card for all my commander, my fellow commander heads out there. You could do. I don't remember where I saw this. I saw this somewhere in the Internet. The haunt of high tower on Mordigo and this card in play, and you just win the game on the spot. So that's the big hotness in the commander scene, if
0: you two were curious about that. Um, I don't yeah. know what one of those cards does, and I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so I am going to move on to another fantastic Simic art card, <laughs> Aeromunculus. All this art
1: is awesome, by the way. I, uh, basically every piece in the set, and you know that's not really why I'm here for Magic. I appreciate the art, but I don't, I don't generally go nuts over it. But this set, something about it, man, these cards are beautiful.
0: Yeah, this this card is dope. This is uh, one UG for a creature homunculus mutant two, three flying two UG adapt one.
2: Probably it mean, strikes me as below the bar for constructed. Seems awesome and limited. And I mean, flavor wise, it's awesome. I think creature types not great. Homunculus mutants for constructed applications and the adaptability. You know, you make it into a three, four flyer. I mean, flavor wise and everything. It's super cool. I like, I like everything about this card, but like being realistic, like constructed applications, I don't see it. And then for limited applications, I mean, three mana, two, three flyer with an ability that matters turning into a three, four flyer. I mean, it's all format dependent on how things shake out and what they look like, but I can't imagine this card being bad. So I mean, I'm into it for limited purposes and sealed, but I'm not really into it for constructed at all.
1: I like the setup for limited a lot. I like kind of the powerful creature, but requires a large investment over two turns i think that'll often lead to interesting games but you're exactly right this is not supposed to be a constructed card just a display of what this effect will look like in limited and and what type of stuff we're going to be seeing there so uh yeah hopefully simic is a fun guild to play like i said I, i think this is a cool way to go about getting some power on the board and uh not making the games feel bad when like Oh, I drew my three three flyer on turn three, and my opponent never interacted with it, so I just ran over the game. This there's at least a a risk reward element with
0: Aromunculus that I really like. It's pretty sweet that you can adapt at instant speed too. Yeah. So like this thing is just going to be attacking and do a lot of like three threes and stuff, and right, right. Th- then you get to do other stuff, which I think is cool.
2: Man, we think we th- we think the exact same way.
0: Yeah. Well, I I actually thought that this this might be a downside card for you because it's like on board tricky. Like you want to be able to attack your two threes into their three threes with no onboard tricks. I think that's more fun for you.
2: It's all fun for me, baby. Send it, send it right in. <laughs> it's it's on, on board. Don't have it. Never had it. Like it's all fine.
0: Fair enough. So <laughs> next card is growth spiral. This is GU instant draw a card. You may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. Brian basically wrote a dissertation on this card already for Star City Games two days ago? Any uh, I think it just came out today. To well, two days ago when this podcast goes up.
1: Right, right, right. That's right. We're we're in the future now. I, I think my article summed it up pretty well. If people didn't read it, I, I basically said that like this is a card that you should be considering in both the modern and standard context. In modern, there's no decks that are playing Explorer right now that are looking for a growth spiral upgrade, really. But there are some slots where I think this card is interesting. The first being things like Bring the lightscape Shift, which is a deck that benefits from being able to play a lot at instant speed. Definitely benefits from additional land drops. Plays 27, 28 lands, so is, is often left with the gas in hand to take advantage of Growth Spiral. I, I don't know if this is enough to completely revitalize that archetype, one that's kind of fallen out of favor recently. I think there's some more structural problems with that deck that just getting a power upgrade isn't like okay, this deck is here in the real deal now. But I want to check it out. It's definitely on my to-do list. And then you can do stuff with like Bant setups where you're uh, a little bit more invested in like Nexus of Fate endgames than you are in a typical blue-white control deck in modern. And I, I like that approach just because... Asking someone to control a game for 20 turns of modern feels like near impossible. And in those kind of setups, you can look to end the game around turn seven, turn eight by just taking all the turns. And obviously there's some finessing there. You know, some people have done it with like Utopia Sprawl plus the has been their setup. You know, maybe you can do that in combination with Growth Spiral and that works. So you've become this weirdo ramp deck, you know, mix of Turbo Fog taking turns type deal. All of that stuff's interesting. And I think Growth Spiral fits really well into that context. So I will be exploring that. And then the final thing I would say in in Standard, everything's on the table. I mean, ramp strategies may be able to take advantage of this. Pure control strategies might be looking to growth spiral. It really depends on supporting cast. Uh, One of the things you do know, though, is that that same Teferi nexus of fate search for escanta setup is present in Standard. It has now great mana setup. Finally, all the dual lands being here and growth spiral just gives that deck everything it's looking for, you know, additional land drops with a cantrip. Uh, late game cantrips are so important to that deck. And one of the big pieces of consistency they lost since they lost the cycling lands. So having growth spiral in the mix might rejuvenate the turbo fog archetype as well. Uh, another one I'm adding to my to-do list once I get all these cards
0: in my possession. Cedric, can you do me a favor? Talk to me. If someone, anyone submits an article scg that has four growth spiral and like 24 land can you just immediately send the article back to them (laughs) just block shot yeah i'm happy to
2: block that back because that's not how anything works (laughs) play some growth spirals cut some lands you know that's how that's how things go yeah i can do that for you jerry no problem this card is um it's neato i kind of dig it uh, Brian, I think everything you said about it is is accurate. I thought your article was really good about the card as well over at StarCityGamesPremium.com. Well plugged. Thank you. Here's where I'm actually, outside of everything Brian said, here's where I'm weirdly most excited about this card. Limited with the gate stacks. Oh, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, so that's that's like so you, right?
0: Yeah, oh, I was just drafting gates all the time anyway.
2: Yeah, like that's so that's just not that's not how I operate at all. But it's just like I can see you and these people that love these maniacal five color decks. It's like you know, a little grow spiral under turn, put my guild Gilgate in tapped, keep working towards what is it, like Guild Summit or this or like the new oh, Colossus I or love it. That sounds right. Cool. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Like I think all the constructed applications are. I don't want to call them obvious, but like we've seen this card before. Like it, it's explored. That's a little harder to cast, but a little bit of upside. But like man, limited end step but we're looking at like these five color gate decks that i think they're trying to make work and they were pretty good and like this has got to be they're normally base green and like this is just a little Hmm, i don't like what's going on there
0: well i guess we will move on to another guild this one is gruel and there are zero preview cards so far (laughs) why is that the case it's so strange that we just don't have any cards. look i I don't know if y'all saw the trailer but uh there was domri dovin and kaya so, like, those are the Planeswalkers we're going to get. So there will be a new Domri card. Okay, that's cool. So something for Cedric to look forward to, I guess.
1: I like old Domri a lot, too. I'm with you there. That was a card I, I played a bunch and uh, I thought was a well-designed Planeswalker and, and a lot of fun. Uh, Agreed. So, so we'll see what comes out of the new Domri.
2: Does anyone want to play a game really quick? Sure. Uh, I guess. We are we are, <laughs> we are we are the game podcast. It, see, I'm, I'm I'm fixing it. We're gonna play. We're gonna play a game, not a gam. What do we think the gruel keyword is?
0: All the keywords so far are new. Yes. Yeah, we have adapt, spectacle, and afterlife. I don't know. I could see. I could see blood rush. Maybe they're all new though, because I I don't think it's gonna be like detain or convoke. Just fit right. That that was the rationale. Yeah. So I don't think they're gonna be like, oh man, Blood Rush just fits.
2: What's it what was the other girl when it was Blood Rush and um was it Bloodthirst?
0: Yeah, yeah. Bloodthirst is tight. I like Bloodthirst. Yeah,
2: I wouldn't I wouldn't mind seeing that come back. Like I, I feel like they're probably gonna bring one back again like they did with Convoke. And I don't know, I'm kind of into the idea of bringing back Bloodthirst. I don't know, I always I always thought that Bloodthirst was a cool ability, so our assumption is just that
1: since they did it in the last set, it's on the table for this one as well. That's why we think we might get a returning mechanic here. Yeah, I don't buy it. I I can't tell you why. I I have no more information than you do. But for whatever reason, I feel like all the mechanics will be new in the set.
2: Fair enough. I got I got nothing past that. Are y'all gonna make a wager on this or what? Ooh. Uh, Jerry, you are Jerry. You are speaking to me right now.
0: Okay, Brian. I have your side of the bet. Uh, if it is so, you you get the field. Cedric gets returning mechanics even though Uh, I think you could just wager bloodlust, right? Or bloodthirst. I'll give them all of returning mechanics. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I think that's kind of a free roll on your end. Uh, I do think that you're a favorite, so Cedric needs to get some sort of odds or whatever. But, like, I think that if uh, if you win this side of the bet, Cedric has to play Turbo Fog at some tournament.
1: Oh, Oh, dude. Wow, that sounds beautiful. And what is my curse going to, like, do I have to play humans without Bugler or something horrible like that?
0: Yeah, but it would have to be at, like, two tournaments. Okay. Like, it, in your, okay, in your yeah, next, I'm in. in your two standard tournaments, you have to play Merfolk or something.
1: Oh, do we have to go that far? Like, at least give me a, a plausible deck here. Like, Turbo Fog exists. It has appropriate support. I don't know if Merfolk, I
2: would say the same about. Maybe I could bring up a nice little Merfolk deck. I, I can make some time for that. <laughs> I could easily make some time for that. Get some Kaminas in there. The little knucklehead that's unblockable. Miss
1: Cloudy. Okay, or okay,
2: whatever. I'm in. Fine. That's fine.
1: Whatever. So two right.
0: to one. Two to one. Brian gets new mechanic. Cedric gets any returning Gruul mechanic. In. Love it. And your
1: Turbo Fog deck is going to have no win conditions. Oh, like, yeah. Not obviously. even... Not even a Karn to like make constructs, like you're just going to be tucking, and that's the end of it.
2: Yeah, so I got I gotta vacuum, I gotta vacuum them with Teferi and then tuck away. Yep, yep, that's fine, that's fine because then that's max punishment for my opponent, so that's fine and myself. That's true. Yep,
0: all right, new guild Rakdos. Uh, this card is not in English, so we're gonna look at the translation. Yeah, I saw the English version somewhere. uh, Okay. Well, it's not up on Myth Explorer yet, but uh, the translation says the card is called Anguish. This is BBR instant destroy target artifact, creature, or planeswalker. Sweet.
1: I like this one. This is cool.
0: This is good, right? Yeah.
1: The, The adaptability is so awesome on these type of effects. Like the fact that I'm picking off problematic artifact and I've heard a lot of buzz around this card People kind of looking at it as a signal of a new philosophy of design, which is built around having more expansive and adaptable answers. Possibly as a concession to best of one being a format that we are playing more of these days. I don't know. I mean, that seems Ooh. like seems like a bit of a leap. Like I think this is just a cool design, a cool card, and you know you need some bump from making it more difficult to cast than. Hero's Downfall, so uh, the artifact thing makes a lot of sense, given the colors. But regardless of the purpose behind it, I love having access to flexible effects like this. And obviously, there's an intense color commitment, but our mana is pretty good right now. We're going to bear this well. Uh, this card is just a staple, going to be widely played in any kind of mid-rangey black-red deck, and probably any aggressive black-red deck as well. It just does too much to ignore.
2: This card is for sure good and standard oh yeah and it might be good in other places you know the mana cost off the top appears to be restrictive but not really like could i see a grixis deck playing this card yeah could i see a mardu pyromancer-esque deck playing this card yeah could i see maybe hollow one playing this card like i could see this kind of card fit in in all of those places. Maybe even eh, it might be a little too expensive for old Dredge. Might be a little too hard to cast too for Dredge. But I could see this, you know, making its way into modern a little bit here. But yeah, I mean, this is. I think this card's fantastic. I mean, assuming you can cast it, which you should be able to. I think it's a fantastic card. It's Heroes Downfall level. Obviously, Downfall is a little bit easier to cast, and but this one blows up some things that Downfall couldn't, and. I don't know. This this is the kind of card to me that's like, it's just straightforward, a good card, I think, to have exist. I don't think it's too powerful. I think it's a powerful, well-designed, somewhat difficult to cast, so there's some opportunity costs and some deck building costs that go along with it type of card that you would expect to see in Rakdos. I think it's everything that you would expect for a removal spell within that guild. So, love it.
0: I'm pretty excited that you get to have this alongside Verasca's Contempt. Mm. And this reduces some of the necessity to play four contempts. And now you can play like six or seven of this effect, however many you want. And it also lowers the curve, which mattered a lot in the Grixis decks where they just had too many four drops. Right. Good point. So yeah, black, black gets a significant power boost. Thanks to this card. I think.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree. And maybe, you know, and I'd have to take a, a deeper look to see what's going on with the old pirates, but maybe this is the removal spell that pirates was looking for. Uh, that it didn't have before. Like something, maybe four mana was too much for pirates, but three mana is just right.
0: And I think all the pirate creatures just mostly suck. You're Unfortunately, you're not wrong. Yeah. Next card is Madi Reveler. One R for a 2-2 human shaman has spectacle 2BR. And spectacle is, you may cast the spell for its spectacle cost rather than its mana cost if an opponent lost life this turn. And when this enters the battlefield, discard a card, then draw a card. If this card spectacle cost was paid instead, discard your hand, then draw three cards. So two mana, two, two ETB rummage, or you can spectacle it for four mana and discard your hand and draw three. Can I start? Yeah, go nuts, man.
2: Busted.
0: Yeah, this card's dope.
2: Busted. (laughs) This is my kind of card right here, baby. Two-minute, two-two. Spectacle's nice um, that you can work towards, and the spectacle's not in the cards for this particular game. You just need a two-drop on turn two, enters the battlefield, discard a card, draw a card. Like, come on. I mean, this isn't Abbot of Carol Keep. It's a little bit different, but I this card is nuts. Uh, this probably slides itself into... This card slides itself into mono-red, like a, a mono-red aggro deck, regardless of if you splash black or not. Like, that's where I think this card sits. Now, you, you're incentivized to splash black so you can do the spectacle thing, but i don't know i'm to- i'm totally in for this card this is the exact kind of creature like i want to play all the time if it didn't have the just when i cast it discard a card and draw a card but you like it was like two mana, two two and then the spectacle thing was added on we can have a conversation there but the fact that like i can just play this on turn two like smooth out my draw if i'd like take a mulligan or who knows what else like yes give me four in my next red and black deck
0: Yeah, I I think if it didn't have the rummage thing, you're looking at like playing two copies instead of a very easy four copies. But uh, one thing that this does is help you discard Arclight Phoenix, which outside of blue, mono red or like close to mono red decks didn't have a lot of except for tormenting voice. And that was one of the decks that like Ephra and I worked on for... Uh, the last Pro Tour was just like a Mono Red Arclight Phoenix deck. It's, and it's like very close because you have the eight red cantrips and stuff. And being able to use this as a pseudo Bedlam Reveler in the kind of late game is great. One thing I am now going to be on the lookout for is cards that make it very easy to trigger spectacles. So things like Fanatical Firebrand, when the board is a little clogged up, I think like their stock just went up a lot.
1: I think this card is just absurd, like actually absurd rares are tough man I, I don't like to do the speculating thing on rares I will say though already three dollars seems really low to me for this this card this should be like I, it'll spike to like seven or eight once people realize how absurd this card is and then it'll settle somewhere around five is my hot financial prediction for this card I'm looking over at starcitygames.com right now where Rick's Mati Reveller is pre-selling for 299 and that seems incredibly low to me this card is Busto. I think it probably reaches back to modern. Are you interested in some more Bedlam Revelers for your Mardu Pyromancer deck? Because this is kind of doing the thing. Uh, Like you said, no, look, why why is this not acceptable? You benefit from just like spot discard, right? Discarding your lingering souls on turn two is completely reasonable. This body is like very outclassed in most instances. That's true. But where you get to activate the Spectacle you're doing that whole chaining thing again, like super, super powerful stuff. And the opportunity cost is really low as well. And I think like, so Hollow One is a little bit more interested in the more explosive discard effects, but you could see a slower version of that type of setup where you're doing more with Light Phoenixes and you know maybe something like your Hollow One deck that the mono red Hollow One deck that you played in Modern over the past however many weeks. I, I think that deck can consider this card as well with a very light black splash and maybe getting paid on that spectacle side. I I just think this card is good. I think the default mode is completely acceptable. And the fact that sometimes it's just going to be like one of the best cards in your deck pushes things to the next level.
0: Four mana is so much in a lot of the decks that you're talking about. Don't even play four revelers. And, like, they are very good at getting Reveler to two mana, so, so but this
1: I'm is, skeptical. This is different than Reveler in that it's modal, right? Like, if, if you need a way to make sure you're always doing something on turn two and still having the upside of having this card in your deck for the turn four setup where you get to dump your hand and draw more, that's pretty appealing to me. Now, you're right that, like, a lot of Reveler's appeal is that it often costs two or three. And four is a lot more than that. But I think this card is doing something that Reveler is not as far as smoothing out your early game. And if that deck changes its setup, if it's more incentivized to put Arc Light Phoenix in the graveyard, it may want an earlier discard outlet. Yeah, but Red has plenty of that. In modern at least. They have plenty of discard outlets, but not ones that scale into the late game in the same way.
0: Yeah, I mean looting, tormenting voice, like those things scale just fine, I think.
1: I find it hard to believe that you would go to Tormenting Voice before you were looking at this card, at least in that context. And obviously, it all depends on all the cards surrounding it. And like, do you have use for these bodies? If Cabal Therapy was a card, then things would be very different, right? You have some payoff for disposable bodies that you can use. Again, totally depends on context. But I I think this card is worth considering in some of those slots, depending on how your deck ultimately gets built in the future.
0: Sure. I mean, it has similar text. You can add it to the list of considerations, but I, I think it is short on both halves. Possible. Possible. But clearly a standard all star, right? Like, we're not arguing about that. Yes. This card yeah, yeah.
1: dominates in that context. And
2: oh, yes. In immediate four of standard card. Yeah. Immediate. Yep. I agree.
0: Next card is Rectos Firewheeler, BBRR43, creature, human rogue. When this enters the battlefield, it deals two damage to target opponent and two damage to up to one target creature or planeswalker.
2: I'm in. I like it. I don't know why. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, potential to like, you know, four mana, four, three. So aggressively costed. Rakdos creatures can die. Sure. Generally don't care all that much. And then like ding something. So potentially kill something and ding the opponent. Like when this card is good, it's going to be completely absurd. Maybe it just ends up being a really good sideboard card. I'm not sure because like you can make the argument, right? Like if you can cast this, you can cast Chupacabra. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. There's something to be said for like Rakdos is generally your, be- beating you down while also dealing you damage type of thing so like if the format shapes up in such a way that like this is going to be a chupacabra a lot of the time or it might finish off a of planeswalker like i think chupacabra is a lazy comparison that i just made but it's an easy one to make i i think there will be some decks in some instances and some formats where this is just a better chupacabra that your deck will be able to cast i don't know like i, I think that i think this card will be pretty good actually i'm kind of into it
0: yeah, it depends on what the competition is around the four drop slot. I mean, it's just some some sort of creature that ETB like searing blazes is just pretty insane, or has the potential to be, as long as like that sort of effect lines up well with the rest of the format.
1: Yeah, format context is going to be a big determiner of Rakdos Firewheeler's place, because obviously, you know, like you said, competition at the four drop slot, again, Rekindling Phoenix is a card, and like, Looking at them next to each other, it's hard. Rekindling Phoenix does a lot, but if there's a lot of X2s floating around and you're super incentivized to simultaneously answer them while clocking, you know, if there's a particularly problematic X2 that these decks have a hard time attacking through or something like that, you're almost certainly going to want to turn to Rakdos Firewheeler as your answer. I buy this card, I don't think like raw power level means you have to start immediately building decks around it. I think it's just an important tool that these Rakdos decks are going to have in their arsenal.
0: Makes me excited for the rest of the CCDD cycle also.
2: I totally agree and I I actually love the CCDD cycle. Like when we were talking about Simic earlier, I'm just really pumped to see what that card's going to be, honestly and i was just i was really into when all of those cards came out in the first set i remember i asked a factor fiction of like if these cards are good enough or like are they too hard to cast or whatever and they just ended up being like pretty good i think crackling drake is the best of the bunch so far but i think they're just really fun because they can like really push the power level on them because you know you have to work to be able to cast them so i don't know i i like all of these cards a lot even though not all of them see like constructed play like true fire captain isn't some all-star in constructed formats, but I still think it's a really cool card.
1: Yeah. I think they've all seen a touch. Like I, I, At some point, I saw a true fire captain in a sideboard somewhere, uh, and the other four have seen at least a smattering of play. So they're, they're all like hits. I, I I am in favor of them. They've turned out to be very interesting cards for the most part. Obviously, uh Night Vale Predator ruined a lot of games of Limited, but uh, <laughs> that's Hexproof's fault, not Night Vale's Predator's fault. So I, I won't I won't blame the card there.
0: Next card is light up the stage to our sorcery exile. The top two cards, of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards. Spectacle R Brian. Tell me about this card. Hot garbage.
1: Totally garbage. <laughs> I, I think people are like amped over this card and they're too amped right now. They are living in magical Christmas land and giving some best case scenarios. The first place I've heard everyone mention it is like burn. I think this is, pretty bad in burn I have very little interest in playing it there you need a lot of things to go right you spend a lot of mana if risk factor is not good enough for like modern burn this card is almost certainly not good enough for modern burn is there some kind of more fairish just like beat down deck that wants to use a card like this to refill its hand maybe possibly like maybe you're supposed to Rakdos fire Reeler and then light up the stage and do something on your next turn I don't know it just doesn't seem as exciting as people are giving it credit for right now. Uh, it may be a role player in some standard Rakdos-style deck. I don't buy it in Eternal formats like I've seen kind of brandished about.
0: See, this is the card that I think is much stronger in Modern than Rick's Moddy Reveler.
1: In, w- in what world? Like, in, in what decks do you think this card is better?
0: You're talking about, like, mono-red Light Phoenix decks, and Light Up the Stage is... More of what those decks want, rather than the four mana spectacle card. Like, really, one mana spectacle is pretty busted for getting to look at two cards. So I I
2: agree, but I, like the biggest problem with this card, and and maybe I'm wrong, it's just like there's some work you got to put in here. So like the the easiest way to do this is just gut shot, right? You're like living the dream. You just gutter ball someone, pay a red, do or, do this
0: or swift spear soul scar mage like flame blade adept all the one drops that these decks already play
2: okay that, no, that's that's legit and then but like what's so what's your what's your ideal game where where like this is working not even like where it's like the nuts because like i don't care about the best case scenario that's what everyone always uh thinks about i'm like, just like what's how bad is this in your like in your bad games like when you mulligan like is it horrible like is it recovering from mulligan? like jerry what do you see with it with that
0: uh, I mean, if you don't have a one-drop, that kind of sucks. I would imagine that you would probably have to play this for three mana in that case, which is obviously not ideal, but usually you'll just hold on to it until you like have some way to deal your opponent damage, or you do the thing that you talked about, where you like gutshot, play this for one mana, and then you hit like, a looting or a two-drop in a land or something, and you bring back your Phoenix from your earlier looting or tormenting voice, and... I think this this just like adds to the velocity of everything else that's going on. And like, I don't think this is necessarily a four of, you know, because I don't want those situations where you have this early or multiple copies of this early or you stage into stage, which is like maybe good in the late game, but it's still kind of awkward. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm certainly willing to try two copies of this. I'm I'm way more excited about this in Modern Red Phoenix than uh, the other card we talked about. So I
1: want, I want to push you a little bit on that if you're going to try this card. And admittedly, I hadn't thought about it too much in Mono Red Phoenix. My, most of my thoughts were based around just straight burn decks, uh, which is where I see people most excited about it. Y- you make a compelling case in Mono Red Phoenix for good scenarios, and I see how those could certainly work out in your favor. But what are you replacing? Like what What do you think this is better than that's currently in those Phoenix decks?
0: Uh, so my list right now is 18 land, four reveler, four phoenix, six one drops, four bold, four gutshot, four lava spike, four fiery temper, four looting, four metamorphose, four tormenting voice. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's like a pretty clean list and cards like the fourth temper, maybe the fourth gutshot, uh, the fourth lava spike, and I say tormenting voice, the four tormenting voice. Like those are the cards that are kind of like potential cuts. So it's, it's mm. probably like a temper and a spike.
1: Okay. You, you don't find it awkward that, you know, revealing arc light to this isn't great. Obviously, there's situations where it'll work out, but there's a lot of spots where you're going to be pretty disappointed if that's one of the two cards you flip over. Like Cedric said, I, I think in mulligan situations, this card is really damning. And certainly, you know, two seems a much better place to start than four. Four seems almost out of the question. I don't know. I I guess, like, I don't see a tremendous upgrade when I'm comparing this card to Tormenting Voice. Like, I could compose just as many situations where you'd rather have Tormenting Voice than Light Up the Stage, Uh, and I I don't think they're really all that far fetched. So, I don't know. Maybe this will find a home. I am lower on it than everyone else right now. I'll hedge my bet and say you make a good argument for a test run in Phoenix. I think ultimately you're going to end up passing on it when the end of the day comes.
0: One mana to look at two cards and potentially get both of them is incredible, especially when you're talking about like playing lands off this and stuff. Like this, this is potentially so. in Just look at the upside, right? This is potentially one of the strongest draw twos we've seen.
1: Potentially, assuming you have use for those cards immediately, and
0: or which, have just, which just means
1: spectacle,
0: which just means your curve is low enough, right? And right. right. In the specific context of, like, this modern Phoenix deck, yes, that is the case. Uh, for modern Burn, where you flip over a bunch of two-mana cards, like, good luck. But I think in, in this case, uh, this card is potentially very strong. That's all.
1: Hmm. I look forward to giving it the old run and see where it where it falls.
0: Light them up.
2: Just don't put it in Burn, please.
1: Yeah, that, that I'm very confident is wrong.
0: Yeah, but I would I- play Risk Factor instead, for sure.
2: Mm-hmm. I would you know in your, your burn deck should have burn spells in it that's my that's my expert right. advice right. smart good choice
0: next card is next card is rafter demon 2br 4-2 creature demon when this enters the battlefield if its spectacle cost was paid each opponent discards a card and a spectacle for 3br so four mana 4-2 if you spectacle it for five you get a ravenous rat
2: kind of your classic limited design here you know it, the spectacle cost costs more because you get an additional effect So, uh, you know, do I want to play this as a 4-2 or do I want to wait and get a card out of your hand uh, for the five mana if I'm able to achieve spectacle? Maybe yes, maybe no. Depends how the game is going. You know, not the biggest body. It can trade with two drops, a lot limited, things like that. So that's kind of a bummer in some aspects. But at the same time, if you're Rakdos, that means your creatures are aggressively costed and then you've got removal spells to clear the way for I always think of old Cobble Brute, but this isn't quite that big. But, you know, that kind of creature where its power is much larger than its toughness. No constructed applications, in my opinion. Don't think it'll be a terribly high pick for Rakdos in draft, but it depends on what like removal spells they have at common and stuff. So that's all I got.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're pretty much spot on there. Yep, limited card.
2: And plus, I stopped paying attention
1: when I started reading the next card on our list because I have no idea what the combo I was talking about earlier in the show <laughs> is supposed to be. And I mean, it has oh, literally nothing. It has nothing to do with this card, though. I don't even know what I was talking about. Like, there's not, there's not anything on this card that interacts with Unmored Ego in any way whatsoever. I must have just been thinking about another card. But uh, this card is weird, and I'll let you read it, Jerry.
0: The Haunt of Hightower, 4BB, 33 legendary creature vampire and this looks like it's mythic uh i think this is
1: the buy a box
0: oh so fake Mm. mythic right flying lifelink whenever this attacks defending player discards a card whenever a card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere put a plus one plus one counter on this
2: all right first things first i'm buying a thousand of these just in case you just got. You don't just, do
1: that. You just don't do that.
2: You, you just got to be ready for the buy box <laughs> promos. <laughs>
1: well, we know how well that worked out for you last time, right? <laughs> you just nailed it. You,
2: you just got to be ready, man. You never know. <laughs> I don't know. This card seems. Let's see, three three flying lifelink for six is a lot. This skeletal vampire. This is not. When it attacks, if any player discards a card, okay, sure. Uh, but three three is not very big. And then whenever a creature is put into. An opponent's graveyard from anywhere. Put a plus one plus one counter on. This is more in line with what a buy box promo should be. That's all I have to say. Yeah. (laughs) Good assessment. All right. Good assessment.
0: Let's move on to Azorius. New card. Lavinia. Azorius Renegade. UW 2-2. Legendary creature human soldier. Each opponent can't cast non-creature spells with CMC greater than the number of lands that player controls. And whenever an opponent casts a spell, if no mana was spent to cast it, counter that spell.
2: Who would like to begin?
1: You have to begin. You're you're the humans. Oh, expert thank God! Here. Thank you. Let's hear all about this one.
2: Another swing and miss, modern humans fans. This card's fine. Much like Damping Sphere, this does not solve the problem against Tron. I know that you might think it does. It doesn't. Says non-creature spells. If Tron players are building their decks correctly, they should be. This will cut off karn which isn't even particularly good against humans most of the time and should be sideboarding some number of them out it will cut off ugin which galactic already did and some of your draws already do and you can't get turn three ugin and then it will not actually shut off o stone at all really in most circumstances and then there's some other non creature oh like the dust buster if people are playing that thing the old dust buster but like even spatial contortion it doesn't shut off so it shuts off very few of their cards they should be loading up on like walking ballista and various other ways to interact with you. Uh, so this doesn't solve like your walking ballista problem at all. And then whenever an opponent casts a spell, if no mana was spent to cast it. So something like a Mox Opal uh, as an example, you get the opportunity to counter that spell. I'm sure there are other ones too. You know, like if uh, someone spell queller your thing. And then let me see, an opponent casts a spell if no mana was played. So like it has this weird, like, weird interaction with spell queller and like the card coming back you play.
0: If you spell queller their spell, they kill your spell queller, and you have Lavinia. They can't cast their spell off spell queller, so it kind of combos with a spell queller. But yeah, it's not that good. This nope. This this seems like a thing that's like good against vintage workshops, right? But who cares? Yeah, I, I think like people
2: saw. So people, the old Twitter sphere was just going nuts. So when this thing got released, it's like, yeah, hate bear in the house. I, I think that weirdly, even even though we've been doing this magic thing for a really long time, I think most people are just really not particularly good at um, figuring out like, n- not good at analyzing a hate bear initially. Whenever you analyze a hate bear, everyone's thinking like best case scenario of like it's gonna do this thing. Like, remember when Spirit of Labyrinth came out, and everyone's like, this mm-hmm. thing is nuts. No, actually just dies of sword supply of shares is what it does. That's actually what the card does. And no one brainstorms into it or Jace is into it or anything like that. Once they realize that, you know, Vile on two or don't do this, do something else, whatever. And then there was like that
0: red card. Was it harsh mentor? Like that card no. was actually okay, but Yes.
2: But, like, you know, when people are like, this is, this is the card to stop fetch lands and all these other things. And now you splash for this in your hate bears deck. And now your hate bears deck is not you hate bears. We are doing it. And it's like, that's just not how anything works. Like, Thalia is the ultimate hate bear because it just stops people from actually playing magic the way they want to play it while allowing you to continue to play magic the way you want to play it. And it's not particularly restrictive to cast because it's white colorless. But. The, the best case scenario is with this. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think of what are the, what's the best case scenario with this thing. Honestly, like, can either of you tell me where, like, you just stone cold lock someone with the first ability?
0: Nah, you you can't cast KCI on turn three or whatever.
1: All right, Uh living end. Right that that does something. I mean, th- here's the thing about this card. You mentioned Thalia as like the shining example of a hate bear. The reason Thalia is so great is because it affects everything. And this card does a little bit of like a sprinkle here, a sprinkle there. It messes up this deck a little bit, and it's a little bit annoying for this deck, and it kind of seems good maybe against this really fringe deck, but it doesn't have that broad application. And if we're talking about this card in the modern context, I mean, that's everything in modern. Your entire like deck-building philosophy is being able to be adaptable to many, many situations, uh, especially for a deck like Humans, where like, I I mean, I hope people aren't considering this a main deck inclusion. My thought is that if you believe in this card, you believe it has sideboard slots, but rarely is this going to be the best tool for the job. And it's just not casting a wide enough net for me to really think it's a significant upgrade. I don't know. I I don't see it either. I, I think it's another in a long line of hate bears that like, might get a spot to shine when the metagame shifts in a certain way. And like, there's a lot of this deck around, there's a lot of that deck around. And now I don't even know what those decks have to be. Like, like you said, it's a little bit annoying for uh, KCI to deal with this in some spots. Tron, I think it's mostly laughable against. I, I think it almost doesn't matter at all in that instance, you know, save very specific draws. So, I guess if, like, Living End is everywhere and they don't have Shriek Maws for some reason, then this card becomes very important. But uh, you're right. I I don't buy this right now.
0: It doesn't even stop Creeping Chill. And (laughs) one of the common problems with these hate bears is Harsh Mentor, Spirit of Labyrinth, now Lavinia. They all have this thing where it's like they're just a base tutu. So you end up playing even in the matchups where they're supposed to be good, you basically can't attack or block with them. And in the matchups where they're bad, or like you're you wanted to do one thing, but like the other thing's not super relevant, it's just like it's not a good stat line. It doesn't have any sort of evasion. It you just like play this thing like an enchantment, and then you're just not pressuring your opponent, which is just horrible. Like one of the reasons. That Thali is so good outside of like her ability just being the nut is that she has first strike.
2: Yeah. That's that's absolutely true. Like everything you just said is true about a card like this. You know, like how many games have we seen where, like, oh yeah, I got like one drop into Lavinia. And it's like, you know, my opponent, your opponent, like, okay, well, I've, you know, seen this before and played against this before and play like a three, four. And it's like, well, just going to be hanging out here for a little bit i guess then And your opponent just like works that takes their draw steps works their way out of whatever this issues that this card may or may not be causing and then just goes on with life you know again that's why thalia is so good is because like it just stops your opponent from actually just playing magic in general as opposed to a certain type of magic but the right. the, the one thing i was going to say too is you know when people saw this card it's like oh yeah Sugatron, and it's like okay that's not true at all but yeah they're not going to put a hate card like, a hate bear that just beats Tron. Like, I hope people realize it's just not a thing they're going to do. They're not going to print some card and it's just like, well, this when this is on the battlefield, Tron ceases to function as a deck. Like, that's just never going to happen.
0: Well, sorry, Lavinia. I think people are going to try this card. They're going to be ultimately disappointed. And like Brian said, maybe there is a very specific metagame where this card is like worth the slots over Gaddock Teague in your sideboard or something. But it's very unlikely.
1: If if you don't if you know this already, don't answer. I'm hoping one of you doesn't know the answer to this question. How much do you think Lavinia is pre-selling for ooh, on Star ooh. City right now? I, I know
0: the answer already because I looked.
2: All right. So Cedric, you get to guess. Okay, I do not know the answer. My guess right Good. now is it a mythic or normal rare? Normal it's rare. Normal rare. I'm gonna guess 19. It's
1: 999. 19 is crazy, but <laughs> I, I think I think 999 is equally crazy, especially when we just talked about Rick's Mati Reveler. Which seems like a very impactful card, and that's 2 uh, at the same rarity. So yeah, uh, the hype train has left the station for Lavinia, and the game podcast is here to recall it and get things back on track. This card is like fine in very specific spots, not going to be widely played
2: at all. Sorry for sorry for aiming high there, guys, trying to get us paid. My bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Next guild. Orzov. Any any Orzov fans? Because I'm yes, not.
2: Like, I, I actually so I liked Orzov in the last set a lot. Not because like it was obviously the best uh thing in limited for uh whatever that uh, guild pack. Nope, that's wrong. I'm old. Gate uh, crash, uh, extort. You. Yep. I liked extort like I a lot. Love that mechanic. I, yeah. I
1: thought it was one of the best limited mechanics. I have a hard time with the guild identity thing. I've never felt like a strong association with any guild. But I think the closest I come is Orzov, and that's a little tenuous. I'm, I'm not like all in on my Orzov identity, but uh, that's, that's kind of where I lean. Sometimes I, I say Azorius, but I don't, I don't think I really believe that in my heart. So I, I guess you can put me down as an Orzov fan for, for this purpose.
0: All right. Tithe Taker, one dub, two one, human soldier. During your turn, spells your opponent's cast cost one more to cast and abilities your opponents activate cost one more to activate unless they're mana abilities. Afterlife one, which is when this creature dies, create a one-one white and black spirit creature token with flying. Damn it, I should have made a spirit token. Idiot. Big miss. I'm in. Yeah? You like this hate bear? This is good enough for you?
2: No, actually, so I I actually... the, The hate bear aspect of the card is actually my least favorite part. Like, it's nice or whatever, but i like that when it dies i get to make a creature that has flying <laughs> that's mostly what i like about this card is like it's an it's like a somewhat aggressively cost a two drop that has some text that may or may not come up i get to keep attacking with it in these white based aggressive decks that have like history of banalia and Manalish marshall and blah 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 because like they were kind of lacking on a two drop so this fills in the two drop with a with a danto vanguard and then you know like if i get or sweeper in some capacity it's like i still got a knucklehead to give some beatdowns with and put some counters on a johnny with or bring back with a johnny like if the if the ability comes up to like mess with the opponent cool but like i'm not playing this card because i can do that it's just kind of hey this is the thing that's on this card as well but i like the fact that it's just like a aggressively costed creature probably with the right creature types in the right color to give some beatdowns
1: yeah i buy this as a very good standard card like i I'm not going to go into modern. I don't really see it having a home there, but just being like in the white aggressive deck in standard, this card makes a lot of sense, probably in large numbers. I mean, it depends a lot on how important Settle the Wreckage is because this really messes with Settle the Wreckage in a very effective way. And, you know, just timing in general for those style of decks as we are about to enter the time of Azorius right now. Uh, So that could become more and more important. But I think like there's enough going on here with the afterlife bonus and everything Cedric talked about where this just seems like a fine for, uh, for these decks to be built around and uh, a fine fit place for them to start their aggression.
0: Yeah. Worth noting, not legendary. So Mm -hmm. these things stack settle. The wreckage was definitely the card that I was going to bring up. I do think that afterlife is awesome, but Two mana 2-1 two, afterlife does not excite me, so I would hope that you're getting some use out of the hosiery type of ability, but I don't think so. I think realistically it's going to give you peace of mind, like you are going to know that they are not capable of doing anything because they're going to have to tap out on their turn to like Chemister's Insight or whatever. So that's kind of neat, I guess. But yeah, two mana, two, one afterlife is not super exciting. We already had Knight of Grace. And I guess this is a little bit better against actual sweepers. But I don't think that we are as starved for a two-minute card than uh, than Cedric was.
2: Well, I'm I'm always starved for one. We need to start doing that thing
1: that we did for the last set. And then now we've, we've broken ourselves at the habit at this point the dies the chain Wheeler thing that we were always doing in the past which this does leaves a body behind which also can die to chain Wheeler. and the reason we're going to start doing that again is because chain Wheeler has gotten some very effective dual lands that are going to allow it to be slotted in some multicolored decks now where it very much was relegated strictly to mono red by the end of the most recent standard format that's not going to be the case anymore uh there's also that status statue card lurking around, which some people believe is going to be impactful when combined with Goblin Chain Whirler. So uh, it's time to get that card back in our memory banks again. Oh, I, for- I-, I'm not I not sure forgot about totally that, actually. Left.
2: I totally forgot about that.
1: Really? You you're just giving
2: up on the chain whirler fear? No, no, I just like I just flat forgot about like the one two punch combo. And like when it was oh, okay. announced, I remember some people, I think Jerry too was just like, uh, oh, like what is this? And now, you know, since people didn't do it, you know, you, you forget and then it's like, oh, I guess we probably have the Lance to enable it. So yeah, good call. Yep, it's back now.
0: If Celesnia were better, I I think it'll be a thing, you know? But like the fact that is it Drake's was like, not super popular, and then got very popular. These White Weenie decks didn't really exist until it Drakes was a big part of the format. Like, there was never any real reason to, like, wombo-combo people. And depending on how this set shakes out, like, there could be, but it's also possible that there are enough control decks or, like, mid-range decks where it just doesn't matter, uh, especially now that you have the ability to play shards, wedges, whatever. I think the effect matters a
1: lot against Golgari too. And obviously we don't know where Golgari lies. Um, so I, I don't know if I would discount it in the mid-range context, but you're spot on as far as like Drake's and control. It's it's far less meaningful. So we'll have to see really what the metagame looks like. There's, there's still a lot of unknown information, obviously.
0: Well, in three color mid-range, I think those decks are mostly spell-based. Like I think about Grixis and how it's like Nicol right. Bolas and stuff, right? Yep. Planeswalkers. Yep, that's fair. Uh, next card is Mortify one B dub instant destroy target creature or enchantment. This is nice. Mortify never really got its time to shine or anything and destroy creature enchantment is certainly relevant text. All
2: right. So let's talk about what matters on this card. Well, first of all, paging Shaheen Ronnie. Congratulations, Shaheen. Now moving on. I don't care that it kills a creature. What enchantments we blowing up?
0: Conclave tribunal search for as perhaps. Yeah. That's a good one.
2: So like that's 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 how I analyze a card like this, right? Where yeah, it's going to kill a creature and like a bunch of things kill creatures, totally fine, cool. Like we know that aspect of it, but like are there are there enchantments to kill? And it looks like the answer is yes. Like we talked about Adonis Climb already gone. Uh, all of these transform enchantments from Ixalan that are all very very powerful cards. You know, like in a world, obviously we could see a card like Argul's Bloodfast come back and be awesome, right? And that thing was like annoying and needs to be blown up. Um, so like that's a thing that needs to die what uh there were two mana blue engines there's search there's azor's gateway and there's one more i can't remember for some reason
0: i mean treasure map is the one that people are using now yeah yeah, one- yeah
2: yeah it's map and but this doesn't kill that that's worth noting that like maybe the blue players now because Mortify's a thing maybe they go maybe they stick with treasure map and uh azor's gateway and like now search for his content maybe it's just entirely off the table if mortify becomes ubiquitous in the format so it's all about just what are the enchantments in the format you you mentioned tribunal uh jerry there's um
0: i mean frenzy's another big one
2: yeah yeah like frenzy's looking worse and worse as we go now right like this card kills it uh vivian reed kills it and i imagine like these Golgari decks are still gonna be floating around so like frenzy had this great run or whatever at the top of the format and then people realize they just you know i have to address this kind of card but these cards are incidentally addressing instead of having to board in like something that kills directly in enchantment and hope that you draw that card and lines up their frenzy appropriately. So uh, I think, well, things are falling. Uh, I think that, I think this card is is good. I think it's a welcome addition to a deck like Esper, but also Orzov. More flexible answers, right? We talked a little bit about that earlier in the
1: cast. I, again, don't know if it's a, a targeted effort, but I always appreciate when things like Mortify are around. I think this is the third run of Mortify now. I think it's been around in every... Uh, trip to Ravnica. I think it was important in the first trip, completely meaningless in the second trip, and we'll have to see where it falls in the third trip. The, the power level is is catching up. Like the the increased power creep and and more powerful removal spell is starting to make Mortify look a little bit more humble, but it's still an important tool to have access to. I would say Orzov style decks are the things we know the least about right now. It's it's not super clear what their identity is going to be. Um, if it's based heavily on Afterlife, I'm in for that. Uh, it has felt for a long time like the thing that Orzov's decks were missing, not only currently, but like even if you go back to Ixalan, was some type of sacrifice outlet, like a Nantuko Husk, Bloodthrown Vampire type effect. That's always what I've been looking for in any of my white, black, vampire style decks, you know, taking advantage of things like Alanda, the Dusk Rose, and other neato effects that are floating around out there. So maybe that's what we're building towards with this kind of afterlife payoff. I could also see the argument that having something like Bloodthrown Vampire could even be a little bit too powerful if we're going to have all this efficient token making around. So we'll have to see where that uh, shakes out when the format is all said and done.
0: Well, it's it's worth noting, too, that this is afterlife one. So presumably there's going to be afterlife two, afterlife N, Right. Right. And Does that cards, mean the
1: number of tokens you're getting, or is that the size it's, of the token
0: It get? is the number of tokens.
1: Do, do you know that for sure? Because that's not super clear from the reminder text. That's the only reason I ask.
0: Uh, it, it will be number of tokens. I'm, I'm okay. certain.
1: Okay. Yeah, that, I think that makes more sense. And yeah, under that context, you know, if there's creatures with afterlife four or five, and there's a Nantuko husk floating around, uh, for people who don't know, Nantuko husk is black, two colorless, 2-2 uh, two, two creature. Sacrifice a creature gets plus 2, plus 2 till end of turn. Um, and Throne Vampire is a one colorless Black 1-1 one, one version of the same effect that's actually a vampire. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if we get some kind of sacrifice outlet like that. Some kind of repeated sacrifice outlet. I think they're dangerous with this afterlife setup.
0: Yeah. Especially, I mean, depending on what you actually get for that cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, next card and last card for Orzov is imperious oligarch. This is B Dub human cleric two one vigilance afterlife one uh, so common. This this feels sort of like in the uh, what was the dude's name Rafter demon type of thing where it's like it is common limited material. This one is certainly much better than the demon, uh, but like not super exciting and obviously not very exciting for constructed.
2: Totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. I mean maybe. Uh, no, nope. the creature type for a minute there, so my eyes deceived me and I thought I saw vampire for a second there for some reason. I did not. Nope. I actually kind of wish I'd saw vampire on there and I don't, uh, because like the white black has like a vampire theme in ixalon, uh, but there's nothing there. So yeah, probably I'll probably take this way higher than I should because given beat <laughs> and that's about it.
0: Yeah. Uh, vampires and knights are the two things that we're looking for. And so far, these afterlife creatures are human soldier and human cleric. So not great.
2: Yep, and they make are spirits. vampires
1: plausible for for Ravnica. I know we're not good at this, obviously we messed it up with Murfle. I know. I
0: thought about asking, but it's like we're gonna get it wrong, so who cares? <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> I,
1: I remembered Skeletal Vampire, which I, I mean I don't know if that counts or not.
2: Don't bring uh, don't bring that card up around here. Okay, sorry. We have a I we have a sto- I have a storied history with Skeletal Vampire and Jerry T, so please don't. Oh, okay. Thank you.
0: Last card, Gate Colossus, eight generic mana for an eight eight Artifact Creature Construct. This spell costs one less to cast for each gate you control. This can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. And whenever a gate enters the battlefield under your control, you may put gate clauses from your graveyard on top of your library. It's big. <laughs> eight eight gates, baby. That's all That's all it asks you for. You it's know? it's,
2: it's not- big. Look, man, I'm, I'm coming to you on this. Don't, I don't play these kind of cards. This is you mostly probably for limited for you to, yeah, after you're this, having your gate fun.
0: This is kind of tight. I mean, if you have four gates, that's not unreasonable by like turn six and getting like a four mana 8-8 eight, eight with some evasion is nice. The, some of my gate decks have run out of win conditions if I play against a deck that has like five spot removal spells uh, unless I get like very lucky and have like Night fail vale Predator or Expansion Explosion Find Finality, that sort of thing. And this this thing is like kind of immune to a lot of that stuff which is pretty nice. So going long, you have this thing that's like kind of evasive, hard to deal with. Like this will be a good win condition for Gates. Yeah. Inlimited. I can to win a lot of games with this card. In limited fun. Yep. Uh, this is certainly more impactful than the flyer, than the gargoyle. I think. Gargoyle
1: was good too, though. I I, I beat a lot of opponents to death with gargoyles for sure. Yeah. Of but course. guild summit is the payoff. We, we all know we're looking for the guild summit.
0: Yeah, for sure. I hope that's in both sets. That'd be nice. So that is all the previews that I know of so far that are out there and hope people enjoyed Cedric being on our podcast. I know that we were on his earlier this week talking about MTG Arena and everything. And I know that this is a departure for you, Cedric, to actually actually talk about Magic cards. But you did good, man.
2: Thanks. Now, this was actually kind of fun because now, like, my brain's kind of going some places of, yeah, I kind of want to see a couple of cards, uh, keep my eyes kind of peeled for previous season. Like I said, like, I'm I'm really into Simic, and I was really into, like, for- forcing Merfolk during that limited format, because, uh, like, when you got the Merfolk deck and, like, no one's really doing that stuff, like, you-, you gave some pretty obscene beatdowns. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it was, like, kind of like no one could beat your deck if you had the Merfolk deck and no one was fighting with you. Um, but those opportunities quickly became few and far between. So, you know, you get, you get Zagana, and we've got some cards like Hadana's Climb that I'm super, super interested in was already a fan of anyway. So, like, that could be your three drop of choice. And now we're just kind of filling in the pieces. But for, uh, the other thing, too, very quickly is just like, geez, can I get a gruel card, seriously? Like, <laughs>
0: I just want to know what's going on. C- come on. Yeah, they're coming, I'm sure. What if it's just J.K.? red green's dead
2: no no girl (laughs) just no canceled no no girl would be amazing it would really be amazing i hope they're i hope they're like their ccdd i think that's what you call it i hope it's just some gigantic pig by the way
0: just eight eight
2: yeah just some just because they had like that stupid pig that you could blood rush in the last set
0: yeah plus five plus four
2: yeah i want just some giant enormous angry pig dude og ravnica
0: og ravnica had coal hauler swine too oh yeah what did
2: we used to call it? Sir Picklesworth? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I want some
2: just enormous furious pig where like if I wish like the pig had what True Fire Captain had. Where like if you hit it, you just take a beating. That's what I yeah. would prefer. But yeah, there's like a that. reason I there's a reason I don't design cards, so <laughs> just all be giant pigs. It'd be <laughs> Cedric's dream set. Or I will also I will I will also accept a hippo. Just a really, really mad hippo. Though the hippo actually, you know what? Final thought. They should merge a hippo with something in Simic.
0: Oh, it's coming for sure. That's it where I'm at the with table. the hippo. Yeah, yeah, could be.
2: There you all go. Right, That's man. all I got.
0: We we close every cast with a question from the game podcast Discord, and this one is kind of targeted at you, buddy. Uh, since we got you on the cast and everything, uh, I guess we'll now pick your like to slash uh, tournament organizing, planning, whatever brain. And this question comes from Monkey Manu and a bunch of other people, really. So I'm going to have to figure out who we owe sleeves to. But uh, Monkey says, do you guys think it's possible now for these larger T.O.s to have a large esports type of event structured through arena? And some other people asked specifically about SCG Tour and whether or not there are going to be any like arena based opens.
2: All right. So. Here's how this starts. I, I think a lot of people, and I th- I know this is a question, so I'm not going to assume this person thinks that this is a thing that is going to happen. I think they're merely asking the question. The first thing you have to think about when you ask a question like that uh, is just like logistically, how would it work? One one thing I try to always like get across to people, which is why I, I kind of like snap on people on Twitter a non-zero amount of the time, is it's not so much about the idea because like an idea is easy, like bringing forward the idea of, hey, like what do you think about like arena tournaments on the SCD tour? It's like, okay that's an idea. How would you like us to execute this idea? Are we bringing 900 computers to SCG uh, like Columbus the first weekend of the year? I I don't know. Uh, My answer to that is almost certainly no, we're not doing that because there's a lot of logistics that go go along with that, that make that type of thing, honestly, and I don't like to use this word often at all, impossible. So you know, then we have to talk about, okay, if we're going to involve arena in our tournaments, is it just for the feature matches? Is it just for the elimination round? So on and so forth. And then like, if it is just for the feature matches, that's like a different play experience than everyone else is having in the, in the tournament. Like you, you'd have these, you'd have these feature matches where people are playing on arena. And then you have everyone else playing like their actual cards and then like, you know, like I have to, do I have to deck check the person who's playing a feature match to make sure like all of his cards are there so that I can upload them in arena. But like if someone has a Mark sleeve in a feature match that would be on arena, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, there's like all these weird things that you have to like take into account. So I don't ever want to say anything's out of the question, but you know, I, I think that like the arena style tournament that someone would want to have, like, that's a much smaller like intimate thing like uh, the Magic Online Championship Series or like if the Players Championship was on Arena something like that but like in Open that would take place on Arena where also you have to remember this too like you don't even know what your attendance is going to be right like I don't know if if 70 people or 700 people are showing up to an Open my my preference is obviously the latter but if I if we were to somehow some way magically bring whatever the maximum main event uh, seating capacity is, let's call it 900 for an event. And then 400 people show up. This is awkward. What are we doing with those other computers? Are people playing inside events all, like that are buying booster packs from us? Or are they playing inside events on arena, which probably doesn't generate us a, a profit, stuff like that. So I, I don't think it behooves us to engage in that type of thing. I do. I think there will be arena at events like, uh, was it magic fest? I guess they're grand prix at magic fest. Cause magic fest is the branding for the weekend. Like I, I think there will be computers for people to like test out and try the product and stuff like I think that will exist, and maybe there will even be like, hey, you know, do a constructed side event here because we want to get you to sign up and like here's an arena code for playing or something like that, but like a full scale open where there are a very large number of people playing arena like i I don't see it personally
0: so I've played in one dream hack, and granted, these tournaments don't get. 900 people. I think the the Hearthstone one had a few hundred and then the Shadowverse one that I played in had like 60 or something. And it was, they were asking people to bring their own devices and it was also, you know, sure hope the internet works basically. So if you have a computer, make sure it's one with uh, a port that can uh, connect to ethernet so that you're like hard lined in. And then there are people there like playing on their phones, just like hoping, and then they would like disconnect and lose. And it's just like kind of a nightmare. Right. But like that is one way to potentially go about it: is ask people to bring their own devices. But then you have to provide reasonable Internet for maybe 900 people. I don't think that's reasonable. Oh, other uh, thing, too.
2: That, like, so you mentioned, the, you mentioned the Internet, right? Yeah. You also have to provide. Think about a convention center. You've been in a million of them. Where are you charging your phone or your laptop?
0: So the setup for the DreamHack was like every table just had a bunch of power strips.
2: All right. I mean, some convention centers, that's doable. Some convention centers, it's not that easy. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, like some of them, they're just like all up against the wall and not really uh, like in the middle of the convention center because like that's where people that's where foot traffic is, right? So there's no reason to have like plugs and electronics and stuff like that. So it's just not it's not always that simple. But I understand your point.
0: And I've played Pokemon video game tournaments where people run into issues with like, oh, crap, like I need to charge my DS. I didn't realize that, you know, like it turns on red when you're in the middle of a game or something and you, you just like can't do anything about it. And there are two wall outlets that are easily accessible and like people have to fight for them in between rounds and stuff. And it's yeah, it's just a nightmare. But aside from logistical issues do you think that coverage for scg tour would benefit from the matches being played on arena or are you fine with how things are currently with just it being tabletop and there being like you know some hidden information you not necessarily what's going on in the game don't know what what cards are in players hands etc
2: uh you know it's that's a tough question to answer because i just don't know at this stage of things, I haven't played, I've not engaged enough with Arena to say with any amount of certainty. And I've never actually covered, I've, I've been covering Magic the same way for six years, right? So I've never covered like an online tournament, I've never covered a Hearthstone tournament or Eternal or any of that other stuff. So I, I can't say with absolute certainty what it would be like and what I think is the best moving forward. Uh, and I'm always open to doing what is the most popular and what the people want to see. It's just, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting, man. I I really like the way that we do things and I'm really excited for what 2019 is going to look like from a coverage aspect of, you know, doing time shifted matches and bringing more coverage and less commercials, which we're doing. And like, we've got the two broadcast teams per show and all these things that we're going to be kind of implementing into our broadcast. But at the same time, we could implement all of that stuff and do it all really well. And people are just going to go like, no, but seriously, like this is really slow and like, I want to watch arena. And yeah then we just kind of fall flat on our face and there's nothing we can do about that. Even we could be killing it. You know, me, you, Brian and Patrick could do a show and be killing it and charisma off the charts and everything else. But like, at the end of the day, it is still kind of slow and you know, who's what, what's our, what's our demographic or our audience? Is it this younger generation that's in the arena? Is it, is it this older generation that's in a tabletop magic? Which one are we catering towards? Are we trying to cater towards both? lot of questions you got to answer uh with something like that and that's what's going to be what that's what's so interesting because we're at this weird inflection point where i think the way that wizards of the coast is trying to uh do their customer acquisition right now is through arena and that is so much different than doing acquisition through the tabletop version of the game and we talked about this a little bit on my podcast it's just arena and tabletop magic are just two different games and so if you're trying to bring in an audience with arena then like you want them to see arena like that's that's tough because if, if someone's learned how to play magic on arena and they and they watch an sd tour broadcast they they might just be not they might not be you not you might not grab them the same way that you would an arena broadcast so i don't know what it's going to be like i really don't
0: yeah and the one last thing to consider is that if there's ever an open that is primarily on arena you got to take into account that Star City's main business model is selling cards. Yeah. And what, what the hell are you going to do? Like, are you even going to, like, set up a booth and buy cards from people or, like, offer cards to sell to people? Like, it's just so strange. It just seems, like, completely contradictory to what y'all's overall setup is. And I could see integrating it to some degree. You know, like, maybe you do deck techs where, like, the deck is pre-built in Arena and you get to show off, like, that screen cap of the deck instead of Nick Miller holding up a card or something, right? But...
2: Yeah, I mean, and you just made like a you just made another really good point. I mean, if if anyone's been to an open before, think about think of what it's like when you walk into an open. Right, you have got your registration desk, got your SCG tour booth, you've got a prize wall where you get prize wall tickets for playing in side events and stuff like that, and then you've also got other uh, vendors that have paid their money to be there to buy and sell cards as well. So you know, are like you what are you gonna are you gonna eliminate? those vendors and, and like the SD tour booth. And then like, you're also kind of eliminating the prize wall. And then all of a sudden you're just kind of asking yourself, well, wh- why are we holding this in a convention center? Everyone's playing on their computers. They could just do that at home. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just a different animal entirely. I think, I think the clearest summation that
1: you could give of this situation is that a magic arena tournament would be a magic tournament as we know it kind of in name only. Like, it's a completely different undertaking. It has nothing to do with what SCG is currently engaged in. And while that may not render it an impossibility, it's certainly a fundamental change to how things are currently being approached. Like, do I think there is a potential space for a tournament organizer to do things with Arena? Absolutely. I think there's going to be a hunger for play environments for Arena. Where's the money coming from? Like you said, I, I mean, even if you concede the point, there's no reason for us to get together and do this. Like, we're going to do it as an online tournament. You, you still got to be, I mean, there has to be a bigger purpose than just like, we're a tournament, everyone's here to play magic. Like, and right now a lot of it isn't selling cards. That's completely out the window when you go to arena for everyone except Wizards. So they are incentivized to take this program on much more than SCG is, I think. Obviously, you know, if your tournament circuit becomes popular enough, then there's advertising and you're selling now the broadcast as opposed to, you know, any physical product. And and that's great. That's that's certainly something to consider. But I think people need to realize that. It's a fundamental shift. It's not just like oh, SCG does arena events now. Like that's something totally different than the business model they are currently engaged in. And I'm interested to see where things go. I mean, if, if nothing else, I think SCG has proven itself to be a very adaptable entity and one that uh, you know thrives in changing conditions. And if this is what the crowd demands, I mean, that seems like a a leap. We talk a lot about the reasons why it's possible, but we're not there yet. And there is still something about playing magic in person and the gathering portion of things that is very, very important to the culture and to the game. The conclusion we kind of reached is that even if it doesn't make the best viewing product, it will oftentimes make the best play experience. And it's kind of on us to do our job and make it the best viewing product. And it's a challenge that I'm excited to take on because, uh, you know. I think all of this lives and dies by the people portraying it, and you know, building the storylines and making appointment television and something worth watching. And that's always going to fall on the people producing the show. So it'll be interesting to see how we tackle this new generation of magic.
2: Yeah, man, and you know, I don't play to lose, so <laughs> I'm doing the SD tour. I'm doing the broadcast for 2019, and. <laughs> it's going to be successful some way, somehow we'll find the right way. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't play to lose and I don't want to be unsuccessful and fail. So we'll have to, you know, adapt or die as they say.
0: Well, Cedric, have you ever listened to this podcast? No. Yeah. So you don't know how to sign us out. We basically just say that's game in, in oh, whatever, what? whatever way you want. So you get to be like loud and obnoxious or super quiet or have a funny accent, you know, whatever you want to do.
2: Hmm, okay.
0: So I I get
2: to close it. I just say that's game and that's it.
0: That's game, however you want, and then that's the hmm. end.
2: That's a, that's a, that's game. <laughs>